Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, We're going to get started. I imagine others will join us. Our, uh, <clears throat> our audio isn't working today, and I don't know how to fix it, and Mike Minnick is homesick, so <clears throat> I'm just going to speak up and hope you can hear me okay, and <clears throat> we'll keep, uh, keep going. <clears throat> so for the record, this is uh, January 21st, uh, 2024. This is our third lesson in the book of Job, <clears throat> and uh, I'm Dan Truitt. So let's, uh, <clears throat> let's turn to Job. We're going to be in chapters 1 and 2 uh, today. So, uh, Caleb, would you close that door and we'll let people <clears throat> open it if they need to to get in? Okay, that's good. <clears throat> okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this blessing and privilege that you've given us to gather together today. We have come to because we are needy people and we ask you to minister to us by your word and by your spirit. I thank you for the, for the folks in the room and others that will join us. We pray for your strength and healing for many of our body that are sick today. And so we trust this time uh, to you. We look to you to, to speak to us by your word. We may know your ways and see the glory of your son. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> well, last week we really got started in the book of Job. Uh, we began looking at the prologue, chapters 1 and 2. We saw uh, Job's godly character. We saw his wealth. We saw um, the interesting uh, annual festival that, that Job had for his children, where he, where he made a sacrifice for them in case they had, uh, they had sinned. And then uh, we started into these, to, uh, this scene in heaven. The the, uh, the prologue has five scenes. It's kind of a some call, some call it an epic story. If you think about it, the first two chapters they could just be a standalone story. You could it would be an interesting story just to hear that. <clears throat> of course, it gets really interesting in chapter three. But so this uh, the prologue is five scenes. It alternates from earth to heaven, earth to heaven, and then back to earth. So there's five of them. <clears throat> we saw two of those scenes last time. Uh, this first scene on earth describing Job and his wealth. And then the second scene is the first scene of, of heaven. And we saw that uh, unusual um, council of, of the holy ones. And we tried to get our head around what that, what that means and, and what was going on there. But um, what we began to understand is that, and we looked at some Psalms and other places that that God actually uses a kind of an administrative staff to accomplish his purposes. And they're either called the sons of God, uh, the holy ones, some maybe are angels. And one of the, one of the um, participants in the, uh, in the council was, uh, was Satan. And I thought I might just read what uh, Christopher Ash said about uh, Satan. I, I, we read this last time, but this kind of gives us a summary. 
God assigned Satan as his instrument to take away Job's prosperity to demonstrate to the universe that God is worthy of a man's love and worship and that God's worth is in no way dependent on God's gifts. Satan has a God-given ministry of opposition, a ministry insisting that the genuineness of the believer be tested and proved genuine. It is a hostile and malicious ministry, but a necessary ministry for the glory of God. Well, as I've uh, tried to get my head around the book of Job, there's more mystery there that I have understood. In fact, I've got a new book uh, that was recommended by one of the authors I'm reading called The God I Don't Understand. And uh, it's a very reverent book, and it's, it's not blasphemous at all, but he talks about the, the conundrums that we have if we take the Bible seriously. Um, there's lots of mysterious things about God that we don't, that we don't understand. So that's, I haven't read too much of it, but it, it seems really, really good. But one of those that we don't understand is this counsel that God, is, that God uses to administrate his, uh, his kingdom. So we saw the first scene, and this is where, remember where Satan uh, challenged God and said, the only reason that Satan, excuse me, the only reason that Job uh, loves you and worships you is because you give him stuff and you protect him. And the Lord said, okay, you can take it all away. And, and, and jo, uh, Satan said, when I do, I'll prove myself right. He will curse you to your face. Well, so now we come to uh, this Job's great misfortune in Job 1, uh, 13 through 22. So I'm going to read uh, verses 13 through 19. And so now this is the third scene in the, in the prologue, and it comes back now to, uh, <clears throat> to earth. So Job 1, uh, 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep, and the servants were con- and, the, and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So, wow, you just see this wave after wave of tragedy coming to Job. And this happened in one day. All of this happened in uh, in one day. Mm. Notice the suddenness of the loss. Boy, it just comes uh, so quickly. For in one day, in one day, this man, Job, who was uh, one author called him a sheik, called him the the greatest man in the east in his region. Where he went from the top to the bottom in one in one day. Um, one author that I read, John Hartley, he noticed that the order of blessing and loss is reversed. I put that in my, in the, in my notes because I thought it was very interesting. And I thought surely by the time I get through studying I can figure out why. But I'm not sure why. Um, 
I've, I have thought about it a little bit more lately. Um, it does show, when you look at the order of the loss, it does show the progression of the intensity of the disaster. And I thought about this. Um, So, I don't, did I spell possessions right? Never mind. Okay. Uh, so maybe it's kind of concentric circles that, um, interestingly, if you, well, I don't know about how the, the first part of the, of the chapter puts these order, but now we see, uh, remember, remember uh, one of the things that Satan said to God, he said, you put a hedge, you put a protective hedge. So if you think about these circles, they're kind of the hedge around, around these different entities that are protected. And so now we see these, these first three um, messengers, we see that this, this hedge has been breached. And it's gone. There's no protection there now for that, for his possessions. And then, well, what we'll see in just a minute is that then the hedge around his children has been breached also. And so they are they are taken away. So what we're going to what we're going to see here is that, well, what's left? Well, it's just Job. And we're going to see that. At this point, God still keeps the hedge around the hedge of protection around Job and his body, but we'll see in a few moments that that's uh, that's uh, breached also. One writer said these uh, these four messengers were almost felt like the four horsemen of the Book of Revelation, just brought tragedy and and trial and trouble uh, along the way. It it is interesting, I think, that these four these four disasters are caused two by a kind of a human terrorist in a, in a sense, I guess you could say, and two by so-called natural disasters or, or um, you know, acts of God is what the insurance companies call it. Uh, isn't that interesting that God gives Satan access to, to these kind of entities? That's kind of frightening, isn't it? That he can use weather and he can use uh, lightning and he can use armies and um, it, it may be kind of what we've thought about um, I mean what we hear in the New Testament where uh, what are some of the names of Satan in the New Testament that talk about his realm of authority he's the god of yeah, the prince of the power of the air yeah kind of the spiritual realm He's the God of this world. This world. So God is, in his mysterious providence, he's delegated uh, an enormous amount of authority uh, to, uh, to Satan. So these messengers just come wave after wave. Notice how the writer says, even before one messenger completed his message, the other one comes. So Job doesn't have any any moment to rest or to comprehend what is uh, what has happened. 
<clears throat> so now, of course, the the worst devastation is the fourth messenger, <clears throat> and that's in verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. I guess Job may have had other servants, but as far as his business enterprise, now he just has four. Just these four men are the only ones that have uh, that has survived. So now the, the, the crowning tragedy is the death of all ten of his children at one time. We probably ought to just kind of sit and think about that a little bit, what that, what that would mean uh, to a man. And, uh, and the final blow of uh, what happened is this natural disaster, this storm, uh, this cyclone or whatever it was that came and, and destroyed the house and killed the children. Um, we're going to see this later, but let's look at the... Uh, Chapter 8, verse 4. So this is one of Job's so-called friends. His name is Bildad. Uh, I had a professor in seminary. He nicknamed all of the, all these, brother, these uh, friends. I don't remember the other three, but he called uh, Bildad, he called him Bildad the Bulldog because he was a very... He wasn't a very good friend at all. But uh, we're going to see this. We won't get into it in detail here, but um, all of these men, their theology said, if you're suffering, it's because you've done something wrong and God is bringing judgment on you. So look at what Bildad says in chapter 8, verse 4. If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. So apparently Bildad heard about the death of his children, and so he's connecting these dots. He said, well, Job, that's why this happened. They've, they've obviously sinned, and so God's brought, um, God's brought judgment on them. But, <clears throat> but anyway, the point is that Job has suffered <clears throat> enormous loss. And so then we see his response in verse uh, 20 and <clears throat> 20 and 22, 20 through 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. It's interesting to think about this. Probably Job was sitting in his house when these four messengers came. Or if he wasn't at first, he surely sat down after he began to get this, this word. But notice what uh, verse 20 says. Uh, he stood up. And he, he did things that were common for men that were suffering great loss. He tore his robes, shaved his head, and he threw himself on the, in the dust on the ground. And just to, just again to think about, uh, this was not some marginal loss in the life of this man. This was not a slight downturn in the market, and so he lost a few thousand dollars. He lost everything. 
he went from the very top to the very bottom, and and then of course all the way also <clears throat> losing his family. When you think about that kind of loss, and none of us have ever experienced that kind of loss, no wonder Job is a basket case the rest of the book. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, boy, he is really going through it. And so that's not a... This kind of helps us to see uh, no wonder of his, um, of his distress and confusion as we get into these speeches uh, in chapter 3. I wonder what you think about this uh, in verse 20. He fell on the ground and, and worshipped. Um, it's, it's instructive to us, isn't it, that the writer puts this as his first action, um, his falling prostrate on the ground and worship. What do you think it, what do you think it meant that Job worshiped? We can't get into Job's mind, but what do you think? What does what what that worship look like, you think, for Job? I mean, he wasn't singing Kumbaya. He was, you know, this is a serious issue. What is he thinking? What's it, what does worship mean to Job in this moment? Acknowledging God's sovereignty. Okay. All right. In fact, the... To answer this question, we can actually read these other verses and we'll see some of what, what worship meant. But one of them is surely that, that James, he acknowledges God's sovereignty. What else do you think worship meant to Job at that moment? Everything that happened to the Lord. Okay, yeah. Acknowledgement of his... He's the source of all, and so he can take it away if he wants to, yeah. Yeah, that's good, Steve. Yeah. To me, I would be thinking, For sure. I thought maybe this is a time of even great lamentation. He's already lamenting over what has happened, and he's recounting maybe, uh, maybe to the Lord about what has happened. Um, again, probably the maybe the idea of submission. He's submitting to the Lord after all this had happened. Um, it is it is amazing. We'll jump to verse 22. And all this Job did not sin, and he did not charge God with wrong. He didn't. He he he, um, he said that uh, God, you have a right to do this. You've not done anything wrong in taking away my children and my uh, and my possessions. Well, he acknowledges. Um, <clears throat> oh, one writer said, even at this point, he's seeking consolation or comfort from the Lord. Uh, we don't know, but that's. The point that the writer is making is that that Job is reacting in a surprising, amazing way, but he's reacting in the in the right way, the right way that God's people should should respond. Um, so now we hear a little bit more about his heart, and he said, "Naked I came from my mother's womb, but naked I shall return." Now that's an interesting thought. Do you, obviously, he didn't really think he was going to return 
to his mother's womb. I mean, that's ridiculous. Even Nicodemus understood that, didn't he? That, that's not going to happen. So uh, it was interesting when you think about, about this that the womb is also perceived as an extension of the earth. Remember in Psalm 139, let's see, it was in verse 13, David said, I, you've, what does he say about that? You've uh, knit me together in my mother's womb. And then in verse 15, he says, and you've intricately woven me in the depths of the earth. So strange kind of thing that the, that the womb is also perceived as an extension of the earth. And so maybe the point there is kind of this dust to dust thing. Uh, um, his point is <clears throat> that he didn't enter the world with anything and he, and he knows that he will not return. Uh, to, to dust and death with anything. Um, do you think he thought he was going to die? Or with what he just went through emotionally, and if, if this doesn't get him, the next one will as far as his you know, thoughts about, about death, perhaps. Also, he, he came into the world with nothing. He's going to leave the world with nothing. So that reflects his attitude on his possessions. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It, He's recognizing the eternalness of God, God's Lord, and the temporary situation that we're all in. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, this is a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? Hopefully we don't have to go through this to, you know, to see this, see the clarity of, of what's temporary and what's eternal. Um, <clears throat> so you see my... Notice there, Job presumed no inherent, <clears throat> no inherent right <clears throat> to his possessions. All were gifts from God. At the end of verse, uh, I mean, the, the theology in these verses is just enormous, isn't it? As we said, the sovereignty of God, all things come from God. Um, he has a right to do with them what he chooses to do. They're all gifts from God. He didn't earn these things. They were given. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. And then he has this little statement of worship, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, that means... Uh, May the name of the Lord be blessed and, and be, uh, be exalted. So Job uh, passed the first test with flying colors, didn't he? He, um, <clears throat> Satan said that when you take everything away, God, he will curse you to your face. And he didn't. He worshiped God when everything was taken away. Well, so now... Um, we come to the second heavenly scene before Yahweh. So we're back with the throne of God and God's counsel around them. It's a little bit different uh, than the, but not much. So let's read uh, chapter uh, chapter two. I'll read verses one through three. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. So 
this is a little bit different. In the earlier account, Satan was just kind of one of the guys in the in the council, but now he's, he's specifically singled out here, and it it almost as if um, you know these these holy ones, these uh, sons of God, whoever these uh, spiritual beings are, they've been doing assignments that God has given to them, and so now Satan is back, probably called back by the Lord saying uh, come give a report on you know on what you've done so uh, verse 2 and the Lord said to Satan from where have you come so this is exactly the same as the first the first uh, heavenly uh, scene from from where have you come and Satan answered the Lord and said from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it and the Lord <clears throat> said to Satan have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and takes away evil. So, so far, it's almost word for word like the first uh, encounter. Um, I guess we would say it's obvious that, that Satan has considered Job. He's been messing with him for... You know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, to, to wonder um, how long was it between this first this first heavenly council meeting and this one. It could have been one day. I don't know, but th all this happened in one day. So Satan got, he fulfilled his assignment in one, in one, I start to say 24 hour period, probably much less than that. So we don't know, <clears throat> we don't know if it was days or weeks or, or we don't know how long, but. <clears throat> in verse 13, it says now, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating, which infers to me that it, at least it's not the same day that all the animals died. Yeah. Well. Right? On verse 13, huh? Yeah. So maybe over a couple days, which doesn't make it a lot better, but. It's a brief time. Now, I think the point of, of verses 13 through through 19 is that it was one it was one one 24-hour period they you know we read that we learned we saw last year that last year last week that uh, that these these seven brothers these seven sons they had a festival maybe on their birthday and so this recounts the one of the um, of the oldest son but anyway it was real quick whatever was happening and so Obviously, when, when God says, have you, have you thought about my servant Job? Well, um, Satan's not happy about having to think about his servant Job because he passed the test. Uh, Job proves Satan wrong by not cursing God. And it's, Satan is really upset about this because he proves Satan wrong about the character of God that God's people do find him worthy of worship even when his gifts are taken away. So then he, so, so then God adds at the end of uh, verse 3, uh, he, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited him against me to destroy him without reason. So, um, I don't know if we have time to go into it a whole lot, but 
That is a very interesting thought. You incited me. What does he say? You incited me against him to destroy him. Makes me want to read my new book, The God I Don't Understand. What are you going to do with that? I mean, it's not the idea that Satan twisted God's arm and said, hey, I'm going to force you to do this. By the word I read, uh, the Hebrew word for insight means to persuade or stir someone to action he would not normally take. Well, didn't didn't he challenge God in saying, hey, you protected it, so, you know, what's going to happen if you don't? Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, I just don't know what to do with it. I, I think, you know, a good principle of Scripture is you use the clear Scripture to inform the cloudy kind of stuff. So we don't know what's going on here, perhaps all the details of it, but we do know God is sovereign. He's always in control of everything, whether it looks good or happy or, or not. So he's in charge of this of this act of this procedure that's taking place. Um, Satan may think he's in charge of it, but he's not. He's just the he's the the instrument that God is using to accomplish His purpose to show that His glory is the greatest good in the universe. <clears throat> I, I do want to. This may be helpful to us. Just go to Lamentations real quickly. <clears throat> You know, Lamentations is right after Jeremiah. And I just want you, <clears throat> I want you to see this and just without a lot of explanation because I don't know how to explain it. <clears throat> but of course, the book of Lamentations is, jo- is uh, Jeremiah lamenting the, the fall of, of uh, Jerusalem and the judgment of God on, on Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> so chapter 3 is... <clears throat> It's kind of the turning point in the book of Lamentations. Well, sort of. Now, this is where we have that beautiful verse that we sing. Um, chapter 3, verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. <clears throat> but look down at um, verse 31. Lamentations 3, 31. <clears throat> For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he caused grief. So there's... There's the admission that God causes grief and sorrow. Though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Verse 33. Uh, by the way, verse 33 is the, is the middle verse of the book of Lamentations. So it's, this isn't an accident that this verse says what it says because the writer made it the, the key hinge point of the book. Look at verse 33. For he does not afflict from his heart, <clears throat> excuse me, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The, the Puritans called that uh, the strange work of God. That, that God's work of afflicting his people and bringing sorrow, that that's not the, boy, you got to be careful even how you talk about this because none of God's attributes are in contradiction with any of the others. But um, but this was unusual to the writer that this is not 
Well, y'all figure that out and let me know what you I think the point is that, that uh, well, I know what you can do. Uh, when you have to discipline your children as, as parents, do uh, you go, yay, I can't wait to spank that little boy or ground that little girl or take her phone away. No, you don't do that, do you? It's not your, your normal work, your normal attitude toward your beloved children is care and love and provision and joy. It's the strange work of having to, having to discipline them. Okay, anybody want to help us figure that out? Throughout all of the scripture, we have the stories of hardship and God taking something that was meant for evil and God turns it into something good. And he doesn't intend the evil, but for those that do, Joseph's brothers, um, Satan in this case, um, and in the end, God... There, there's a, a redeeming thing that happens, but it also is of huge benefit to the person that it happens to. So at the end of Job, when he says, I I now know you. I, I used to know about you, but now I know you. Um, Joseph, what God intended for, or what, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And there's a strengthening of the person at in the end that is... And, and of course, the ultimate culmination of that would be Christ, um, Christ's resurrection, where every meal bound, every time he confessed, yet he came as a servant unto death. Mm-hmm. So there's those those um, balances. Yeah. At, uh, at this point in time, is this? I could be wrong or whatever, but so the, when Adam fell, Satan gained some kind of authority that he didn't have prior. Apparently so. Huh? So his ability in the Old Testament to incite God to do something, was he acting with the authority that man might have had in the Garden of Eden. And well, then after Jesus came, Jesus broke that curse. Possibly. But of course, we wouldn't say that Satan had authority over God. Not over yeah, God, but yeah. yes, he was. He, he does have access uh, to the and throne of God. Yeah. It's, it, uh, we, if we get here, it'll be wonderful. Uh, at, uh, Christopher Ash brings out this point that because of the because of Christ's work at the cross, you know, Colossians, what uh, he disarmed the principalities and powers and and brought them to open shame. Uh, he triumphed over them, uh, and then we see that that unusual uh, story in the Book of Revelation where Satan fell from heaven. And Ash brings out the point that um, God kicked him out of the council, and He said, "You're no longer part of my part of my uh, administrative staff." Doesn't mean He won't still use them, use him, but but Satan no longer has access to the throne of God to accuse uh, his children before God. You know, maybe we'll get there. All right, let's go back and try to move through this. Uh, <clears throat> so now. Um, what Satan says is, God, the previous test was really not sufficient to, to reveal Job's true heart motivation. And it, it's really, well, look at this. He does these two, these two proverbs. Um, verse 4, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, 
skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Now, <clears throat> all the commentators I read said, we don't know what this, for sure what this means, skin for skin. There was different, different thoughts about it. But one that I thought maybe fits pretty good is, is uh, Job, and that, that Satan is accusing Job to God saying he didn't really care about all that stuff and he didn't really care about his children as long as he's still alive kind of skin for skin Job said I'll give up my stuff and my and my uh, and my children but it's my skin that I'm really concerned about and so maybe that's where <clears throat> Satan's saying but you touch his skin you touch his skin and uh, you'll see his real heart there <clears throat> all that a man uh, has he will give for his life. <clears throat> well, Christopher Ash has an interesting. Well, let me let's finish uh, verse five. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to his face. And Christopher Ash said, uh, if we were God, we would say no. This test is done. I've we've proven that Job's a righteous man, and we're not doing any more of this. Listen to what listen to what he says. What else? <clears throat> that the Lord disagrees with us must teach us something very deep. That he would and our, our ours would be, that's enough. You know, we're not we're not I'm not gonna expose my son, my child to you anymore. <clears throat> but that the Lord disagrees with us must teach us something very deep. The glory of God really is more important than your or my comfort. When all that Job has taken, if, when all that Job has is taken from him, we may get an approximate or provisional demonstration that God is worthy of worship. But an approximate or provisional demonstration is not sufficient for the ultimate glory of God. In the end, it is necessary and right that this man should suffer personal and intimate attack upon himself so that we see absolutely and without doubt that God is worthy of worship. It is necessary for this man to demonstrate a full and deep obedience uh, to the glory of God. Well, that's just, uh, isn't that astounding that God said, no, we haven't done enough. I'm going to show you that this man will worship me when I take everything away except his life. And of course, he limited uh, Satan to not take his life away. Uh, the commentators I read said Satan really wanted to kill this man because he was dangerous to his, you know, to his agenda because Job was proving that God was worthy of worship. And he wanted to kill him, but if he had killed him, then the, the point wouldn't have been made, would it? So God said no. Uh, you can make him suffer, but you can't. Uh, you can't take his life. Okay, let's move uh, kind of quickly into what happened. So, <clears throat> Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Uh, we don't know what this disease was. It's interesting, isn't it, that Satan Satan chose this disease? And by the way, uh, those those four disasters that came on Job's possessions, uh, those were all instruments of Satan, but here Satan himself is attacking Job. 
and he, he chose this disease for his purposes. A long, a long uh, time of suffering uh, for, his, for his own purposes. So we don't know what the disease was, some kind of boils or something like that. Job actually describes his disease in the coming chapters. I'll, I'll just read some of the things that he brings up on those, in those uh, references. Sleeplessness, delirium, choking, bad breath. His wife didn't like his breath, is what he said. <laughs> Diarrhea, chills, emaciation, darkening and shriveling of the skin and other things. So it was just a terrible, uh, obviously a terrible experience. And you think about this too, what he's going through. And this is, this is right on the, right in the midst of his grief and his stress and his anxiety and and we know from modern medicine, don't need modern medicine to tell us that you know, we are a complex combination of soul and body, and one affects the other. So, so his physical ailment was greatly aggravated by his stress and anxiety. His marital conflict, we're going to see that maybe in just, in just a minute. By the way, boils are associated with the divine curse. Remember, it was one of the, boils was one of the ten plagues in Egypt. And then, very interesting, in Deuteronomy 28, um, Moses says one of the, one of the uh, disciplines that God will bring to you when you violate the covenant are boils. So, <clears throat> so you see this and you wonder, well, you know, I don't, well if Job was, was pre, uh, if he was a, a, a contemporary of Abraham, then obviously the story of Egypt and all that hadn't happened yet, but... Um, Anyway, maybe he didn't know for sure what had happened. So Job isolates himself, or maybe the community isolates him, sends him out to the garbage dump where the, where the ashes are, where the, where the trash has been burning, maybe where they emptied the ashes from the ovens. And it was a messy place. Remember what Jesus said uh, when he wanted to describe hell? What did he do? He pointed outside. Outer place. Yeah, and what did he call that? The outer place. Yeah, huh? The outer place? Yeah. Well, but he called it Gehenna. Gehenna. Yeah, it was a trash dump. So, you know, probably Job kind of felt like he had gone to hell in some in some ways, not in a spiritual sense, but in some ways. Well, <clears throat> so he picked up these potsherds, these pieces of pottery, and scraped, you know, scraped his his wounds. Um, <clears throat> well, maybe we'll do his wife just for a few minutes, okay? Or we'll let her. So Mrs. Job, I'd like to finish this this part. We give Mrs. Job a really tough time, don't we? But let's, in all the commentaries I read, they didn't. I mean, they said she was a, a terrible source of temptation uh, for Job. But uh, you just think about it. She's gone through the same grief and trial that he's gone through. And now she sees her husband, you know, suffering and in great pain. And so keep that in mind as we, as we think about the, the stress on this marriage. And, you know, that's not foreign to us today. When families go through difficult time, loss of, or illness, it can bring stress on a marriage. And so we see some of that happening here. <clears throat> so... Um, I'll just read it real quick and then make a couple of comments. Then his wife said to him, Do you still 
hold fast to your integrity, curse God and die. The, the Hebrew says, curse God and then you will die. The, the, the way the verb, the way the, the verbs are together, one follows the other one. So if you think about it, maybe she's saying, Job, you know, God has done this and accept the reality of what's happened and end it. Maybe it's out of compassion. Now, her theology, her, her advice is terrible, but can you see maybe the heart of this woman seeing her husband going through such devastating suffering? I think the word curse is where, I guess, the trans, not knowing the translation is, is the fact that she tells him to curse God versus, why don't you just go ahead and die, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's. Yeah, I don't know, but. I mean, yeah. Anyway, you can see my notes. Uh, Augustine called her the devil's assistant. Calvin called her Satan's tool. So she was definitely bringing wrong advice to uh, <clears throat> to Job. But let's not be too hard on the lady. But here's the point, and I'll try to end with this. What she said to Job was, "Your comfort and your pleasure is the highest good." And you should do whatever you need to to regain your comfort and your and your happiness or whatever it is. And I just think that's a... You know, we see that. We do that, don't we? Don't you enjoy comfort and pleasure? And, but the, the problem is, is when we violate uh, God's law and we violate, uh, we compromise our trust in Him uh, to get comfort uh, because that's not the highest good. And that we can trust God to take us through, um, like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation or trial taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will provide, but with the trial, he will provide a way of escape. Not a way to get out of the trial, but a way to endure it so that you can be faithful in it. Well, we're going to need to come back here to see Job's... uh, Job responds with a question to her. So we'll come back next week and look at that. By the way, if, you, uh, if you're not on the email list and you want to get the notes Saturday night digitally, then be sure and give me your email address there.